In an entertainment world of endless streaming platforms and paywalls, great content can lie quietly below the popular radar for years. It was 2016 when a group of Aotearoa creatives conjured up the mysterious secrets of Uncle Bertie's Botanarium, an ambitious 24-part radio comedy series. It features the well-known comedic actor Jermaine Clement as its 18th century British buffoonish protagonist, Joseph Banks. Uncle Bertie's received great overseas reviews on podcast premiere with the likes of The Guardian and LA Times, yet remained largely unheard of in Aotearoa, hidden behind a paywall. That is, until now. Here at Culture 101, we're proud as punch to be able to broadcast on radio for the first time Uncle Bertie's three o'clock on Sundays. But first, here's a little taster. Pass me my snuff, Salinda. Here you go, sir. Get it up, you. Pardon? It's an expression, sir. Is it? Yes. What does it refer to? The intake of substances into the body. Oh, that's okay, then. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Get it up, you, Salinda. Get it up, you, everyone. That's unnatural coming from me. Yes, sir. <laughs> Indeed, get it up here. At the heart of Uncle Bertie's are three fantastic collaborators. Duncan Sarkis, who joins us on the blower for Invercargill, where he's teaching screenwriting. And in our Auckland studio, James Milne, a.k.a. musician Lawrence Arabia, and artist Stephen Templer. Hi, Stevie and James. Yeah. Hey, Dunk. Reunited. Yeah, yeah. We're, actually, James and I are wearing matching outfits, which is quite incredible. What colour are you wearing? We're wearing a kind of mid-blue, like a um, French factory workers um, uh, shirt. Industrial. So, yeah, oh, semi-industrial. Is, is that kind color. of like Auckland wear? Mm. So we wear in Apparently, Auckland? Apparently, yeah. It's fashionable up here. <laughs> yeah, you're very <laughs> right on the pulse here. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's start with you, Duncan. We're all familiar with paywalls now. I, I mean, and the series is side splittingly funny at least i found it but why why weren't we all downloading it why, why do you think it's taken so long for new zealand to get to be introduced to uncle birdies properly uh, I, I mean look let's, uh, the people that paid for it um we were very lucky they gave us a whopping like one hundred thousand dollar budget to make audio which would never happen so i'm very grateful that that happened but of course you know part of um that deal was everything was locked behind a paywall and then then we um, had a really fun Hollywood adventure where Stevie and James and I were hoping would be a really exciting outcome, but instead we'd have a very boring tale about lawyers and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, well, what lawyers? So what of, what happened? What we were, you know? What and how close did you get? Well, look, the, an I HBO the series, right? Thing is that HBO HBO wanted uh, to be a TV series with them, and it was it was all looking uh, quite good up to a point. And actually, the thing that really uh, killed it is um, when um, our good old mates, you know, Taika and Reese with Our Flag Means Death, uh, yeah. that became an HBO show, and they didn't want two nautical-based, New Zealand-based <laughs> TV shows on their It's, it's like they so stole your sight. wind. <laughs> they took the wind out of your sails, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We, we had to tack behind them, and, and, uh, and yes. Yeah, so... 2016, you created this. Um, as you say in your media release, Donald Trump was about to be elected. I think the Me Too hashtag arrived about a year later. Black Lives Matter had hardly started topping the sort of Uncle Birdies and so forth, the, the Joseph Banks off the top of their pedestals yet. I guess, did you worry that it was going to be really dated? I mean, is, is that still a concern for you, that this, how this is dated? And there's so much that's gone on since 2016. Well, I think it's aged pretty well. Like it's it's um it's it's 
starts off quite male and it, and it gradually shifts. But the whole thing is, this is all about these, you know, we're in an age of people pulling down statues and it, literally what we're doing here is, you know, pulling down reputations yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and really trying to sort of show up that, that sort of that lunacy of that arrogant white man thinking. That, that's very much um, lampooned through a character that is weirdly quite like Donald Trump, and we couldn't help but notice it as we were doing it. <laughs> Even though he was a British twit, he's, he had many things in common. Uh, more likeable things to Jermaine, of course. Yeah, I guess I've come around to this feeling that actually it almost feels like you guys, it's kind of like a Pakeha male response uh, to, to what's been going on in a way that, you know, why can't we topple the sort of colonial statuary with with humour, right? I'm very reminded, of course, of all that kind of British naughty schoolboy kind of humour that, that I grew up with, the Blackadder, and before that, Monty Python. Um, yeah, well, I mean, gosh, you could ask um, Stevie, and, you know, because I know Stevie's a huge lover of all, all, all of that whole whole school of thinking, and it heavily influenced what we were doing. Stevie, what oh, do you think? Yeah, well, I think that's uh, something all three of us have in common, is that love of that irrepressible, uh, madcap humour, you know, and sort of surrealism of the Monty Python stuff. And uh, I I think that's what this collaboration was so beautiful, is that we had that um, collective idea of wanting to create something that is really fruity and off the wall and harks back to those kind of comedic, you know, uh, adventures. Yeah, um, I was going to say as well, this is James, I um, we started workshopping at this whole project in maybe 2009, I want to say, and it was just quite weird how much sort of subconscious stuff that was kind of maybe a teensy bit homoerotic. Um, and Get it up, yeah! Just... <laughs> But just, I don't know, all this repressed stuff from uh, from t- our teenage years uh, sort of separately all came together and just exploded out into this quite weird kind of Oedipal nightmare that we ended up creating. Well, in, <laughs> true. in true Python-esque style, botanarium sounds rude, but it's actually, it really is actually about botany. Can you outline the story or the premise for the listeners? It's a fictional Joseph Banks, and basically he goes off on an adventure to look for a plant known to be the very source of pleasure. Uh, and he's going there so that he can destroy pleasure because pleasure is a, a threat to society. And this is also a world where I should say that everyone, no matter who you are, is attracted to plants. Every single person is. But only really a trained botanist should be allowed to touch them professionally. If you were to look at the group and who's involved... Stevie, we'd assume you drew the pictures, James, you wrote the songs, and Duncan, you wrote the script, but it was actually more collaborative than that, wasn't it? Yeah, we, um, I mean, yeah, as I say, we, we started workshopping it together, so it was it was birthed between us, and um, we all lived this story and, and created it together. Like, it, the process was very um, collaborative in terms of, of coming up with the whole story, and we spent lots of time with pacing around various spaces with huge pieces of paper um, lying, uh, lining up all of these different plot points and this ridiculous thing that was going to happen and all these beautiful scenes that we wanted to see happen. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we came up with a story together and it was but we, we relied on Duncan's skills as a writer to, to sort of take all of that chaos that we created and put it on paper so we could actually turn it into a script. Yeah, the, pro- the whole process was incredibly fun you know, we'd come together, like James said, in these spaces and 
and interspersed with um, you know trips to have coffees and and you know talk and and joke around and play cricket inside the hall that we were working on and and then um, yeah and it was it was great um, for me and uh, as as an illustrator to come in and uh, almost a masterclass from Duncan about how to construct stories, create um, you know story arcs, develop characters. And together we just, you know, created this incredibly rich and ludicrous world. But, you know, Duncan's skill as a writer and and someone that can pull all these ideas that would come up with together and create this joyful and beautiful dialogue, you know, is... It was a beautiful is, thing that we could have only constructed together because I was just sort of thinking about the, the, the amazing lunacy of the... Like, because... I just thought that like, I'd listen to James's songs as Lawrence Rabia and he'd write a song from the perspective of a, I remember the one I loved from a perspective of a fluorescent tube, a fluorescent lighting, you know, <laughs> perspective. Or, or I'd look at Stevie's artworks and Stevie would um, be able to go, yeah, that eel is really furious with that skeleton uh, um, or that, that cupcake that I've just drawn is, is really, you know, jealous of the of the donut, or he'd have all these things that were so these vibrant worlds, both of them that they were clearly writers, and it's, so the idea of working with this incredibly imaginative two people who just happen to come from a different form, but they are every bit writers, you know, they're, they're, they're brilliant, brilliant writers and constructors, and we just all clicked. To be honest, it, um, it was quite e- an easy click. Yeah, because were you friends beforehand? Well, Duncan and I had spent quite a bit of time hanging out at Deluxe, you know, uh, chatting away and having, yes, a, having a laugh. Yeah, you know, during the um, early 2000s and mid-2000s, Deluxe was kind of this, uh, you know, common room for a lot of creative people in New Zealand, the tuck shop. It's a, Main, a, a cafe just under the Embassy Theatre, right? That's, that's right. For those who don't know in Wellington, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, primarily because we could all tick up food there and, and basically live live until really our next paycheck tabs, eh? <laughs> yeah really big tabs. yeah and then, then Matt who yeah. owned it would be like oh Steve it's about time you paid your <laughs> tab you know your $800 and then suddenly you'd get a, I'd get a you know sell an artwork or something and then I'd be able to pay it off and um, <laughs> so yeah many chats and uh, I used to have a lot of exhibitions there and, and I'd always you know talk to Duncan and you know this is each illustration represents a, a, a Oh, or artwork represents a um, a vignette into a, a, a story, yeah. And then so, and uh, I, I kind of met James just before I became a huge fan of his because I just got to see him at a gig in Dunedin at a place in Dunedin um, where I just didn't know who he was or anything because he was just he wasn't starting out. He was already extremely good at his craft, but um, but just had a nice click there because I was so impressed. And then obviously then you just go for a bit of a deep dive into anything Lawrence Arabia. Or James creates and go, wow, this is just one of our most gifted musicians in the country. What a special talent James is, you know. So, so I don't know, it was, it was lovely, all of us working together. Just going back to the style of Bertie's, The Guardian described it as equal parts around the world in 80 days, 10,000 leagues under the sea and journey to the centre of the earth, so a sort of terrifying Dr Seuss. What do you guys make of that? <laughs> Pretty accurate. Uh, none of those uh, things that I mentioned are as sexy as our one. <laughs> that's oh, true. that's true. That's true. Um. <laughs> well, we're listening to that clip before that we played that short, rude clip. James, you play Solander to Jermaine's Banks. Who is Solander? 
Well, Solander, I'm, I'm struggling to remember. Solander was, <laughs> who the hell was Solander? <laughs> was I, think, I think we misrepresented science yeah. because I because I, I know there was um. Oh, you know. I'm not sure if it was an actual botanist or not, because uh, now it's so long ago since we constructed Solander that I've, I've forgotten who he's based off. <laughs> the, the, no, he, no, he is, he is, he is, he is. He is a botanist. He was like, because Joseph Banks, the real Joseph Banks, not the fictional one that we've confusingly also called Joseph Banks, <laughs> he was just a rich person who was interested in botany, whereas uh, Solander was an actual botanist who went on the Endeavour voyage. You wouldn't um, that's right. Who invented this? Wouldn't you? Who invented that box that keeps um, plants? Alive? Wasn't that just an hour? I can't remember. No, I, I, I get real. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a parallel universe, but obviously there is some crossover yeah. there, even in parallel universes. Well, I James, guess. I was kind of interested in asking you about. I mean, that whole relationship with Jermaine Clement. I mean, you know, he's kind of known for his comedic improvisation skill. How did that play out in the rehearsal room in the studio working together? I mean, what what did you start with, and where did it end up with at the end of a recording session? Well, I found it terribly uh, intimidating because he's just such an adept improviser and inhabited that character so intensely. The character is a narcissist and a tyrant, but it really, I think it maybe played to my strengths or slash weaknesses as an actor, which was that I was I'm, I'm not an, a trained actor. I was scared of it. I was scared of doing it. And then consequently he bullied me. <laughs> uh, yeah. for, for real, for real, and I didn't have to act too hard because I felt genuinely quite scared. Jermaine did it. Jermaine's a really nice guy. The character. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I don't want to denounce Jermaine, yeah, but, but in, character, in, in character as Banks, he terrified the crap out of me. On <laughs> so you just had no choice but to improv along. Exa- exactly. What was so great about James, though, as an improviser, because I can say um, from directing them, and, you know, really Stevie and I were just like, James, you've got to be Solander. We were looking around at various actors, and we and when James was sort of just reading into Solander, just, uh, we had a dawning realisation about how great James was, uh, far greater than he sort of realises he is, you know, at, at that. But he's a great reactor. So that when Jermaine, you know, Jermaine would start with a pretty solid script. They were good scripts that we gave him, so they had a a good base. But he would immediately, whenever he could think of any idea for an improvisation, he would jump down that channel. And James, rather than trying to go toe-to-toe with Jermaine and trying to sort of be wittier than him, he would just listen really intently and really try and, like, cajole his master because it's a real servant-master relationship. So, so, so James is all forever trying to placate his master uh, when he was playing Solander, and so it, it was just so good because James is so intelligent that he was able to, you know, you'll hear in episode one, you'll hear Jermaine's character Joseph Banks going off on who are the townsfolk, who are who are these people who are talking about um, my uncle Bertie, and 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 James is suddenly on the back foot and having to improvise and, and basically go, uh, it wasn't no one in particular, it was um, the abstract other. It was the abstract other, and Jermaine goes, oh, well, as long as it's the abstract other, that's okay. And that's okay, that's so great, because I never could have come up and written that. There was a solid script underneath them, but but the way they improvised together and the way um, James was such a great listener to what Jermaine was throwing his way, it was just beautiful to be there for. We had a great time. (laughs) That's one of the lessons you learn in acting, eh? Acting is reacting. (laughs) Um... 
if you look at when you look back at the when you look back at the filming and the take, how much of the improv made the final cut and how much of it was scripted? Hmm. Um, there was a lot of improv, but the script was really solid. So, so the, the, when Jermaine, you know, I, I would write a, a line like, um, you'll be all right once you get your sea legs, sir. And I'd write down a gag where Jermaine's character didn't, uh, was ex- didn't know what sea legs were. He had to have it explained to him. And then he still didn't understand that it was just an expression. But then you just then you just know Jermaine would just improvise and he'd bring, start bringing sea legs into every single scene that we did that day. <laughs> right. uh, and, and, and it was joyous. So, so it's like starting from a solid base. And like I was happy when I was directing it as long as we got a really good take, you know, um, that was sticking to the script. Then I was extremely happy for it to go off everywhere. I remember Stevie, Stevie and I show up in it quite a lot. And when Stevie was ever in there, um, we'd give... Stevie and I were the cheap actors that you could just get to play anything because we're always there anyway. And Stevie would always sort of rock in and, and go, OK, what do you got, Stevie? You're going to play this character. And he'd always try and get a Michael Caine character in there. He'd always try and do a Michael Caine impression. <laughs> and I would always say no every single time, saying, no, we're not doing Michael Caine, Stevie. <laughs> and it was, that, it was that kind of environment. Oh, the memories. It was, it was playful and fun. The memories are flooding back. The memories are flooding back. Well, congratulations, guys. Um, all It's kind of belated congratulations, isn't it? <laughs> congratulations for 2016. Um, we've got two seasons of it playing 12 episodes each so I guess the first are going to play well into November and then a second season kicking off early in the new year now we want to before we finish up uh, introduce uh, something that's going to be new for Culture 101 it's a new feature for our show um, and we're calling it Fast Faves Fast Faves (laughs) well it's a chance for you to give a shout out to something that you're loving in the arts at the moment so Duncan do you want to go first Fast Faves well, I'm down in Invercargill at the moment, and um, near Invercargill is a little town called Papatawai, and there is a guy called Blair Somerville that runs a place called The Lost Gypsy um, that is only open during summers, I think, and he makes water martyr, and he's he's quite incredible. Like uh, Stevie is the only other person I know that makes water martyr apart from Blair. What, what is water martyr? Can people you describe that? It sounds like a botanical term. <laughs> water martyr is... Um, is uh, Stevie, how would I describe automata? Well, it, it is that it is a little bit from that botanical age of of um, clockwork kind of that old school technology making things move. Yeah, oh. mechanical art. Mechanical, hey? mechanical art. art. Oh. Yeah, you can wind up and let go. And and so this place is quite amazing. If ever you are down this part of the country at the right time of year, you've got to go and visit the Lost Gypsy at Papatawai. It's uh, just an amazing place from someone who calls himself a tinkerer rather than an artist. Oh, I like it. Tinkerer's a great term, sure. great term. Okay, James mm. Lawrence Arabia, uh, Fast Faves. Uh, I saw a film at the film festival called A Fire, directed by Christian Petzold, mm. uh, which is about a group of people who go to a house and there's a fire, and basically it's about a character who's an, an author who's self-indulgently miserable uh, the entire time, despite all this beauty around him. And um, it reminded me of myself, and it was mortifying. (laughs) (laughs) Gorgeous. All right, Stephen, Stevie, what about Um, you? I'm going to have a a quick two faves. Um, The first one is just... Oh, I know. (laughs) The Blind Boy podcast is absolutely brilliant. I recommend that. And... um, the other one is the is a festival that uh, Duncan and I were both part of, and it was it's called the Lomas 
Festival Loomis oh, Festival yeah, in yeah. Wellington, which yeah. is a fantastic festival which happens midwinter and is a real showcase of new works around, you know, from Wellington and all different places and a lot of different variety, really interesting stuff. So that's, yeah, big shout out to that. Stevie, um, last time I saw you, it was the Ping Pong Party People Association. <laughs> that's right. The TPP's um, inaugural Cuba Duper table tennis party. That's yeah, the like, world table tennis. The world, champs. yeah. yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, I did okay, I think. Um, you did really well. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Semi-finals, yeah. quarter-finals. Anyway, a little bird told me you've moved into the international circle drawing community now. Yes, Circle yes. drawing? Yeah, well, it, it's, a, it's an international sport. Uh, huge in the 1970s and 80s, which has kind of come back, lurched back into resurgence. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an exciting uh, sport. We actually featured it, and it was actually featured in the Lomas Festival. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's drawing circles, incredible hype. It's got big sponsorship. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to rival the Olympic Games probably in the next a year or two. Is this, I, I, yeah. is this like freehand drawing? Yeah, circle? I can't. I can't. What about you, Pelina? I can't. I can't draw a circle to save myself. I can't draw to just full stop. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a um, that's a, yeah that's a big that's a big big one money spinner. Yeah. Big money spinner. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Duncan, uh, what about you? A novel about alpacas? Yeah, I'm writing about the collapse of democracy uh, in a society of alpaca breeders. It's pretty epic. You know, it's, um, it's like succession for, for alpaca breeders. It's, it's a big, you know, there's all kinds of conniving stuff going down. Um, and I guess it's just my response to uh, being a bit concerned about the world we're living in. <laughs> but um, uh, is to sort of notice that things that happen on a large scale also happen in smaller communities. And so, yeah, I'm writing an allegory. It's pretty fun. Oh, nice. And Lawrence Arabia, James, I know you've got some solo gigs around at the moment. I know there's one coming up. Here's the plug. Space Academy, Christchurch, Sunday, August the 27th at 8pm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, new material? You're running some new material, putting it out? Yeah, I am. I've, I went through, I mean, you know how everyone was writing all these albums and doing all the stuff during COVID? I, I was only able to get uh, one song done. So um, I'm finally sort of emerging from this kind of creative pause I guess yeah um, and yeah, yeah I can feel the, the the cogs starting to creak into gear again and, and, and things are starting to pour out um, or maybe not pour out trickle out um, yeah so I'm, I'm working on that and, and, and Half Hexagon my new band as well Half Hexagon great yeah. name thank you <laughs> <laughs> well look um, we're going to finish off with a song it just seemed a nice segue which is off your singles club album James um, everybody wants something and the reason for this is this is an amazing video it features none other than Jermaine Clement as a musician at a dodgy wedding gig thank you for that as well thank you everyone kia ora.